Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been warned. since november for no particular reason yeah we're lazy yeah but um we're you know what it was it was because people kept coming to us saying we want you to do a mediocre podcast for us and we said no (laughs) you see we were too principled yes to produce episodes of the show because we don't want to give you anything but the best but you know what it's not for you it's for us yeah that really makes us individuals in that we actually try to do things that we think are worthwhile but i think we're getting ahead of ourselves what we're really talking about this time <laughs> is about ayn rand's the fountainhead yes today we're fucking with ayn rand that's right you old dead bitch we're coming for you before we dive into it um just a couple of quick show announcements um our handle on twitter has changed to hist pod that is H-Y-S-T-P-O-D. So feel free to follow us or at us yeah, on if Twitter. Yeah, if you want to just shout invective in 140 characters, then... Ah, 240. Huh? Oh, wow. So they finally relented on their singular vision. <coughs> they compromised. This is this has ruined Twitter. Tim is now an objectivist. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's objectively awful. Also, if you don't fuck with Twitter, much like Tim doesn't because he's smart... Uh, you can reach us at info at haveyouseen.us. So if you have feedback, suggestions, hit us up at info at haveyouseen.us. Anyway, our topic tonight is one of the most demented movies ever made. It's uh, the King Vidor's adaptation of The Fountainhead, the novel by Ayn Rand. Uh, screenplay by Ayn Rand, who refused to compromise her singular vision. Um, you may have heard of Rand. Um, she's popular with. Uh, she founded so- the Rand Corporation, right? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I don't she's know. <laughs> she's popular with sociopathic lunatics, many of whom have the power of life and death over you and I. Um, Rand was a friendless child who grew up in Russia. Um, her bougie family had their pharmacy taken away by Bolsheviks, which certainly informed her uh, latter opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, she loved Nietzsche and the movies. Okay. A great combination. Um, and she... Well, Nietzsche made a lot of good movies. <laughs> and uh, after attending the University of Leningrad, um, she came to the U.S. to forge a career in filmmaking. She ended up working for, I believe, Cecil B. DeMille. Um, also, she was extremely horny. Apparently, yeah, and it, it really comes through in her work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, incidentally, her husband of 50 years, uh, Frank O'Connor, straight dime. I've seen pictures of him. Frank Conniff, you said? <laughs> but it was funny because, um, you know, it, like in her... And, you know, if you delve into Rand's personal life, it's 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 quite somewhat fascinating. Dodgy. It was somewhat, somewhat train wrecky in spite of her um, the popularity of her philosophy among certain strands of people. Mm-hmm. Um but she was married to 50 years for a guy who was extremely passive and basically lived off her. Like, completely not like her idealized men, much like uh, Howard Rourke or John Galt. 
Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, so her whole life was a sham. <laughs> Basically, she was a failure who compromised. Wow. Huh. Well, <laughs> hey, eh, there you have it. Her life in a nutshell. But um, essentially, um, what gave Rand the, the germ of the idea that later became the Fountainhead is that she was working at RKO and she met uh, an executive secretary who was... At, who appeared as career driven as she was, mm-hmm. um, you know, because Rand was essentially entirely driven by her own career. She never had an interest in having children or anything like that, which you know, relatable. Um, but she asked this uh, this other woman what her goal in life was, and this is what Rand reports her as saying: "Here's what I want out of life. If nobody had an automobile, I would not want one. If automobiles exist and some people don't have them, I want an automobile." If some people have two automobiles, I want two automobiles. Okay. Now, this was anathema to Rand because um, she saw this as a person who was driven entirely by other people's opinions. And again, um, you know, having come from Russia and being so repelled by the Bolsheviks and the communists, like um, any notion of collectivism was just repellent to her. And um, the original title of the Fountainhead was The Second Handers. Um, which are people who follow the ideas and values of others instead of their own brilliant genius. Yeah. That's why whenever I uh, like to travel anywhere, I just ignore the rules of the road. I'm a regular, I'm, you know, I'm a man going his own way, you might say. I, I make all, you know, I sew all my own clothes. I uh, I wrote my own operating system. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I like to do things the hard way. <laughs> yeah, and um, now the Fountainhead, the novels that eventually came to be, uh, was kind of a hard sell. She took it around to a bunch of publishers, and um, it was a while before she found anybody who was willing to publish it. But for whatever reason, when it was eventually published, it struck a chord with a lot of people. And um, eventually she had people interested in making a film out of it. Um, she insisted on and received $50,000 for the rights. And the studio gave her the opportunity to write the script, which, you know, suited her just fine because, you know, then nobody was going to fuck with her brilliant words. Mm. Um, so and it's really paying right into, like, you know, a sort of narcissist dream, <laughs> really. Essentially. Um, like, yes, I deserve all this. Yeah, and... Uh, Warner's also Warner Brothers who bought it offered her the opportunity to consult on the production she was on set almost daily Mm -hmm. uh, to prevent anyone changing the script right Um, the director King Vidor tried to shoot kind of a bridged version of Howard Rourke's big speech at the end Mm -hmm. but uh, she threatened to denounce the picture if he did so really yeah I'm sure she had that much pull yeah and which is hilarious because by the by the time you get to the big speech at the end, you're just like, oh my god, like can this just be over? You know. Right, but then yeah. Gary Cooper gives this gigantic speech, so you know it's great. Um, now I punished myself by reading The Fountainhead. Yeah, why would you do that? <laughs> like I took a different tack in that while Jen was reading The Fountainhead, I was staring at a TV set to static. You were doing literally anything else with your time. Yeah. So, oh, by the way, um, Trump apparently claims that he loves the Fountainhead. Like he's read it. 
Yeah, this book is 700 pages long. And it could lose about 400 of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I strenuously doubt that he's read it, but... Um, well, I mean, you know, I could love it without seeing it. <laughs> Nobody can love this movie. You have to be a fucking psychopath to love this this movie or this book. Cause so what is that, like, oh, half a percent of the population or something <laughs> could love this movie? But, so I mean, if you're out there... Yeah, I but I find it quite relevant because, again, there are certain people for whom Rand's ideas strike a chord. Yeah. Um, you probably met people like this in high school. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> like self-aggrandizing delusional people are the target audience. Yeah, um, and I don't think that we can discount Ayn Rand's influence on public thought and governance. Um, for example, one of her early acolytes was Alan Greenspan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know what he did to the economy. Um, you know, these these notions of, um, you know, individualism of certain, I would, I would argue, have, like, you know, damaged the United States greatly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the idea that, uh, of choosing to act in a particular way in defiance of all reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as you're as long as you're being true to yourself. Right. Yeah, it's like you can be true to yourself and still be wrong. Yeah. Much like you know, philosophy extolled me in the film. In fact, um, at, at the very end too, like the thing that I that I noticed is that in the whole speech where he's talking about you know don't compromise, be an individual, be true to yourself, and it's like, like he's extolling that like it's it's some arcane virtue. It's like. Don't most people feel that way? Like, wouldn't you generally try to do, like, a good job in whatever your work is? Yeah. Like, I, again, like, that's that's why you say, you know, it, why it seems so appealing is because it's like, yeah, don't be like all those other, you know, mooks who just, like, you know, uh, like, punch a clock and just kind of, uh, you know, drag their way through life. It's like, I don't think anyone really sets out to be that way. And if you think other people do, you have, like, a drastic misunderstanding of your fellow human being. Mm-hmm. But, well, there's, you know, there's Anne Rand's philosophy in a nutshell. Well, yeah, you don't concern yourself with other human beings. Right, because they're all beneath you. Yeah, because, again, there's this contempt for uh, the collective and the cooperative. Right. But which anyway, is really I... funny for somebody who wanted to go into film, which is the most collaborative art form. No, I'm sure that this emerged, you know, fully formed <laughs> out, of, out of her head. And, like, anyone who was... Yeah, yeah how does that then work? Like, if you're, uh, you know, if you're, like, you know an assistant key grip or something where like nope i'm doing this my way <laughs> like i don't care like you know you came to me and you said you'll pay me to work on this film but nope i'm gonna i'm gonna position this flag the way i think is right and you know Rand creates all these um her ideal men are always these self-made men you know yeah that is kind of the common thread you know, yeah they, they point out endlessly about like the newspaper tycoon who's from hell's kitchen yeah um or the the guy who hires him to design the Enright House, he's like, yeah, I I was a coal miner, I came up from nothing, which is uh, kind of a a mythic American figure. Um, right. This person who claws their way to the top with nothing but their own brains and will. Right. Um, and I think you kind which of have to a be nice fiction. Yeah, like you have to be fairly childish to believe that that's actually a thing that within human society you can rise completely to the top to the top on your own without help from any other person yeah and that's you it's know like i mean i, I hate to, to break it to you know rand is that you know society formed several 
tens of thousands of years ago like that's kind of been mankind's thing is that we work together yeah and like we aren't cats or some other blight (laughs) on the ecosystem (laughs) well yeah the reason uh, um you know because as homo sapiens like certainly we're we're notable for our intelligence but also like our spirit of cooperation which allows us to do things like build a building or make a film um, yeah. make something you mean Rourke wasn't like out there on his own like you know pounding steel and riveting girders together <laughs> or is that work just beneath him and he doesn't even think about it yeah again like um you know it suits Rourke to be a humble laborer when it's as this kind of per- perverse assertion of his own principles yeah you know um that's literally the only reason why he like goes to work in the quarry. It's like, well, nobody will let me build the fucking building the way I want to. Well, fuck all y'all. I'll go work in the fucking quarry to live. Yeah. All right. Which... But anyway, um, maybe we should talk about the film itself, which... I thought we were. <laughs> well, you know, we've kind of talked about it in a general way. Okay. But, you know, we can kind of get down to the nitty gritty because literally this film is off the chain. It's nuts. Um, the book is just is a turgid brick mm-hmm. of one consisting of one-dimensional characters in absurd situations. Like, the characters literally exist only to serve Rand's ideas. Right. You know, everybody is, you know, the... Each character only exists to put across uh, a point. They're like paragraphs of an essay. Um, And, you know, we can kind of talk about the characters to start with. You have... Howard Rourke, the architect, the the hero, like, what, not a, and you know you have in a lot of works of art you have your your anti heroes which are heroes which do terrible things but Rourke is one of the most unlikable heroes that I've ever encountered. He's sort of a non-hero, you know, not an anti-hero. It's like a bad person who does you know good things or however you put it, or not like a proper hero. He's just kind of a non-hero and then he's like. Well, I'm out for myself, and eventually I'll get it. I'm like, all right. Yeah, he's a cipher with no no arc. Yeah, that's true. Because I feel like it would run counter to Rand's ideas for him to have a character arc. That he had changed at some point or uh, learned a lesson when really yes. everything that he needed was inside himself this whole time. And he's a completely fictional creation because he, you know, he appears with his... Um, Maybe that's like the whole point of, of, you know, objectivism is just believe in yourself. (laughs) You can do it. Daily affirmations. From Ayn Rand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He basically, he springs into being fully formed. Right. His ideas are complete. Yeah, and he's kind of this, you know, Nietzschean Superman. Yeah, and this... Which is um, like the whole point of objectivism is the idea is that like I'm, I have a perfect insight into everything. Which implies omniscience, I guess. Which I'm yet to meet the first omniscient person, but whatever, maybe he exists somewhere. Yeah, I believe that um, Rand was like super. She was super obsessed with Nietzsche. I think broke with him somewhat. Um, these are uh, there are other people who probably break down her um, her philo- philosophical beliefs better than I can. Um, mm-hmm. For the purposes of this podcast, we're just kind of giving you the broad strokes. But, yeah, um, this is a movie podcast, after all. The popular art. Right. You know, it can be made by people who don't know shit about shit. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you have your your hero, um, essentially Rand's ideal man, Howard Rourke. Um, a principal guy who's also a rapist, but we'll get to that. 
Um, uh, I don't know. He's an invited rapist. Right? <laughs> we'll get to that, too, right. let me tell you. Um, and then you have um, the woman for a man like Rourke, uh, Dominique Francon, who is... I don't even know how to explain this character because, well, like... She's a lunatic. Yeah, like all the... Well, she's basically all of Tim's ex-girlfriends. Oh, basically, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, much like Rand's other character, she doesn't act like a human being at any point. No. But um, in the book as well as the movie, she's presented as kind of like an idealized woman, but who is victim of wrong thinking. Um, unlike Rourke... Um, well, she's got that man's brain, so <laughs> of course he's thinking, right? Well, you know, we could have a whole discussion about how, um, you know, Rourke's opinions towards women, but we can also get to that. Um, Dominique is like, is principled like Rourke, but she erroneously believes that a man like Rourke cannot survive in the mediocre world. He will be torn down by other people. Well, everyone that he meets is like some kind of cautionary tale on that. Be like, don't, don't be an individual. Don't express yourself or yeah. whatever. Just like, oh God, it's, it's horrible out there. The worst thing ever. You might have to collaborate with other people. Yeah, and like, don't do that. That's terrible. Or, you know, there are people who tell him like, no, you have to compromise. You have to compromise. He's like, no. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's sort of like, no, I, I want a glass back on this phone. <laughs> yeah, so basically, um, again, Dominique's very principled, but she believes that a man like Rourke cannot exist in the world. Therefore, like a totally normal human being, she decides to try to destroy him. Yeah, um, and she's also like the Rand self-insert in this as well. Oh boy, is she. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you have um, kind of the secondary antagonist. Um, you have the man who could have been hmm. Rand's masculine ideal, Gail Winan, who owns. Uh, he's based on yeah. Hearst. Um, he yeah, that, that huge failure. Never <laughs> happened to that guy. Well, I guess Rand's quibble with Hearst was that he was she considered like a slave to popular opinion. Um, he basically, through his newspapers, gave the public what they wanted, which, you know, through, like, yellow journalism and whatnot. Right. Um, and this is what Gail Winand is in the book and the movie. He mm -hmm. uh, considers himself a, a titan of the industry, but he actually uh, just wants to give people what they want to hear. Um, and therefore, um, when it's, it seems expedient for him to attempt to destroy Howard Rourke, a man that he admires, he does it. Why would he do that? None of these people make okay. any fucking right, sense. Well, they are yeah. not. I can't emphasize enough how little these people resemble actual human beings. Right. Um, and I also have to say that I feel like, in a way, um, Rand kind of failed at, at adapting her own book because the primary antagonist <clears throat> of the novel is a man named Ellsworth Tuhi, who is um, a person who believes in humanity and cooperation and the collective and being selfless. Um, but in to Rand's mind, uh, no one is truly altruistic or humanistic. They are all entirely motivated by their own sense of their own inferiority and wanting to destroy great men. So is this something that like Rand just wasn't able to face on her own 
And so she kind of sublimated that into her creative work. How do you mean? I mean that, you know, she knows that she's a fraud deep down because her prose is awful and she only, like, wrote, what, two books? <laughs> well, no, she was actually quite prolific. Okay. Um, she had... Um... Oh, a lot of failed novels then. <laughs> well, she had, um, you know, after The Fountainhead, she had her big novel, Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. And now, a bigger and, brick than this piece of shit. And, and believe you me, shrug being the operative word. <laughs> and then, uh, but later she got more into writing, um, you know, kind of like nonfiction polemics. She had her own newsletter... Um, she had an, an institute, um, which she basically, um... Well, Ted Kaczynski had a newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> but, you know, that's but part of his problem. The is... difference is that Kaczynski actually had good ideas. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a shame, though, towards the end, how he just compromised and gave people what they wanted. There's a lot of yellow <laughs> manifestos coming out of that <laughs> log cabin. Um, so yeah, you have, um, you have that primary antagonist, Ellsworth Tuhi, who, um, is quite a, a malevolent force in the book. He's kind of colorless in the movie. Well, it is a black and white movie. (laughs) You can cut that out. Um, no, it works. Okay. Um, I'll compromise my vision for you, Tim. Oh, would you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, he really isn't that compelling a villain, in the movie and I don't know if it's just that um, you know again because you find yourself questioning everybody's motives in the film you're like why are these people doing this yeah because it doesn't make sense like on its face yeah and you know everyone's just kind of talking out their um, their motivations yeah in kind well, of interminable dialogue yeah I mean it's really it's it would be uh, it's not like an info dump it's not exposition but it's sort of, yeah, you're just being harangued by a particular point of view. Yeah. Um, and just like, all right, I guess that's a character then. Yeah, so, you know, too, he kind of, he, nobody kind of, none of the characters really work in the movie. I mean, in the, in the, the, the book is, you know, a, a mind fuck of like, why are these people doing this? But, you know, it's like, there, there is a singular vision to it. So it's like. See, and that's why I was surprised to find out that uh, Anne Rand was the writer of the film because it seemed like a satire of the original book. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, the characters are like unbelievable and like they kind of seem like sort of straw man one dimensional characters and then even at the end with like the big speech and it's like uh he he talks against like the the virtues of cooperation and then like the whole courtroom stands up and applauds him it's like this is this is like the uh this is like the the inaugural post of the like that happened subreddit (laughs) yeah i gave this impassioned speech about why it's okay to blow stuff up and then everyone applauded me and i was set free totally dude and then like and he gets work after that (laughs) it's like okay i'm hiring you to build this building by the way could you refrain from detonating it at some point if you're (laughs) if like i displease you in some way i'm not aware of Right. Who would work with this guy? Yeah, it's uh, well, it's insane. It's a, it's an insane world that would yeah. never exist. But uh, except again, for Rand's heated imagination. Right. Um, and f- the, the final character we should talk about. Um, that again, they spend a lot more time with in the book. I, know, um, I keep jumping to the end. Sorry. Um, you have a singular vision. That's right, and I shouldn't apologize. Damn you, Jen. <laughs> um, the other character that we should mention in brief is um Peter Keating, who is also an architect. Um, he's a our cuck text. <laughs> that is exactly it. Yeah. Um, he is a complete mediocrity. 
who like all people who aren't th- like the self in Rand's yeah. world. Um, he has no. Again, he's the 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 second hander of uh, Rand's original second title. Second hander. Will you? St- uh. <laughs> English wasn't her first language. Well, okay. I guess. I, it, well, I mean, it's more like uh, like are we going to start using like uh, Scientology definitions of words now? I I will say that you understand Rand's, the second hander shibboleth. Rand's prose is about as readable as Scientology documents. Okay. Well, like you feel they're perfect for each other in a way. Tom Cruise should star in The Fountainhead. Well, directed sh- by John Waters. It should also be pointed out that um in IRL um. Rand accumulated followers uh, who jokingly called themselves the collective. <laughs> yeah. I must have gotten on her tips. <laughs> well, it they they called themselves that as a joke, but it is kind of fitting because um, you know essentially she brooked no deviation from her ideas within her circle. Okay, and um, her personal life eventually kind of blew up in spectacular fashion when which when one of her young acolytes um who she was also sleeping with mm-hmm. um decided he wasn't going to fuck her anymore and she got super pissed off denounced him slapped him in the face threw him out of her apartment and then condemned him in her newsletter oh no how awful <laughs> um but that's probably a whole other podcast that is yeah that's like that's like tumblr level bullshit <laughs> well there you have it. We're all human, right? Well, <laughs> except for you know one you know Nietzschean Superman, de- designing um, designing ugly ass yeah, buildings, yeah, designing that are brilliant. banks and you know Manhattan, whatever. Uh, did I explain Peter Keating enough? Uh, he's you... basically he's basically an inferiority. Um, he's next, a foil. Yeah, next to the brilliance of Rourke. But again, these right. people only exist to put across yeah, Rand's they're, ideas, they're, not as characters. They're purely one dimensional. Um, so that's basically it, but, um... All right, well, thanks for listening. <laughs> um, the movie itself, uh... Like, I can't make heads or tails <laughs> of so many of the decisions in it. Because yeah. I know that, like, Rand, like, takes, you know, sort of a priori the idea that other people are inherently inferior. Like, just that, like everyone you know it's that sort of simpsons thing everyone is stupid except me yeah like that's her philosophy yeah it's like the masses are a bad thing um the which i further don't understand because everyone else who gets hired over uh you know rourke is like is a like simpering like mediocre milk toast to go work for someone else and like who would hire a person who they have contempt for. Well, again, she sets these people up as straw men where they, they, some of them recognize brilliance when they see it, but they don't want brilliance. What they want is what the public wants, which is safe, cozy, easy mediocrities. And, um... I don't know who's... who feels that way. <laughs> who else, who sets out to be like, we need something really mediocre? Yeah, this this needs to look like shit so it doesn't make anybody feel bad. I don't or uncomfortable. Get that. I really don't understand that. Yeah, it's uh, like, like as well again, it's just another sort of Randian straw man, where it's just yeah. like, look, stupid people want stupid things, and it's unfortunate that you're so awesome that like we can't even communicate on that same level because they do that sort of humble brag in the movie where it's like, 
you know, the pound the desk, like, Rourke, your ideas are too damn good. We can't use them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, yeah, it's like, sorry, your, your dick is just so big. I can't fit <laughs> in my pussy. Yeah. Uh, also, um, Gary Cooper, who plays Howard Rourke, was packing. In oh, okay. Life. Well, yeah. Well, there you go. Just <laughs> That's why they cast him. cast, yeah. He just came in and dropped his pants. They're like, you're hired. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually read a quote from Tallulah Bankhead, where the actress, where she said something like, the only reason I came to Hollywood was to fuck that divine Gary Cooper. Did she? Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> that has got a happy ending. Oh, um, I forgot to say it in my Karina Longworth voice. The only reason that I came to Hollywood was to fuck that divine Gary Cooper. All right. <laughs> Save it long form. Uh, um, well, so, yeah, mediocre let's... people hiring other mediocre people. And really, like, from a psychological point of view, that is like a that is like a, an ego-sheltering perspective. Like, it's the only reason that, you know... I'm sure Rand projecting onto her character. It's like the only reason that like I'm not more beloved or renowned is because everyone is too stupid to appreciate my work. And I, I'm sure that you can find any, you know, thousands of people on Twitter or, you know, whatever, uh, echoing that same sentiment. You can tell I spent a lot of time on Reddit because there's, you know, there's like only a, superior people go to Reddit. No, because there's this, there's like, like look for, look at the I am very smart, you know, subreddit. <laughs> you will find people who go, oh, and Rand's got a lot of good ideas. Like I guarantee you, because they're all like so insular in their own like in protecting their own fragile ego. It's like, well, everyone else has got to be stupid mm-hmm. because I haven't walked a mile in anyone else's shoes. Because why the fuck would I when I'm so great? Exactly. So, well. To, let's... So it, 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 it's a philosophy that appeals to a really, like, you know, toxic, selfish, you know, sort of id. But... <coughs> Rand Paul. Right. <laughs> um, well, let's expand on that. Tim, can you tell us what happens in the very first scene of the movie? Well, the very, fir- well, the very first scene of the movie is where Professor Strawman says... <laughs> It, well, it's where he gets kicked out of college for working too hard, I guess. No, for being too brilliant. Yeah. Because, um... Because they're like, oh, only, like, old ideas are, like, the only ones with any virtue, and you can't come up with anything new. Yeah, apparently... Which is, which I don't think you can even justify. Yeah, like, apparently Ayn Rand just fucking hates classical architecture. Well... Like, she, like if she saw, um, the Parthenon, she would just fucking vomit. Right. Well, uh, part of it, too. Uh, although I do happen to agree with her on that, and I'm like, you know, like, traditional and, like, conservative ideas are horrible, and I think that Rand is right in that regard, in that, like, well, yeah, I mean, she's <laughs> obviously, like, anti-conservative, because she's like, we want new ideas. Like, we want fresh <laughs> thinking. We want to, like, empower, you know, individuals to, like, achieve their, their goals, and we don't want you know, to be beholden to, like, I mean, the villain in this is, like, you know, rich old tycoons. Like, obviously, you know, she, Ren is very, like, conservative. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is why, in a lot of ways, um, libertarians are kind of the, the cranks of the conservative world. Um, the two don't necessarily um, sit well side by side. Right. Um, for I, I know that... Um, and there's a whole... Well, well, for example, like, William F. Buckley, who's basically the dean of American conservatism for, like, so many years, was um, he's a guy fairly who's... anti-Rand for a long time. Yeah, he's a guy who used to go, like, uh, on, like, boating excursions with young boys, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. <laughs> Ask and... Ross Douthat about that. <laughs> I'll have to figure out who that is. Um, but anyway... Um, 
Yeah, you make kind of an interesting point about uh, objectivism. As, yeah. You know, Rand, uh, essentially the philosophy that Rand developed um, after the Fountainhead. And we are using philosophy in two, like, gigantic sarcastic quotes. Yeah, because the other thing about objectivism is that it really isn't taken seriously by philosophers. Because it's not a philosophy. It's just, it's, it's a way to justify a bloated, fragile ego. It's, it's basically saying, like, I'm the only genuine, <clears throat> smart person... Everyone else sucks, and the only reason that I'm not basically, you know, king of the you know known world is because um, mediocre people work together against me. Right. Which is weird because you would think that it's like, okay, well, so mediocre people working collectively can topple a sort of supermensch. Whoa. Which maybe that's the takeaway from it. Maybe <laughs> it's very leftist to be like, look, if there's someone who's being a huge asshole to you, why don't you round up all your friends and then you run them out of business? Which you can do. And, you know, <laughs> the power of the you know, individual working in groups. There you go. So, again, like, I, th I think that's a good lesson from Rand's work. <laughs> is that you don't have to be pushed around by these people who think they're somehow better than you. Yeah. The movie begins with Rand being terminally misunderstood by idiots. Well, it's basically, um, he, gets, he gets thrown out of architecture school because his designs are too original. It's three scenes of um, someone shouting at the audience, basically. Yeah. Like you, um, this movie with, starts with you being harangued, and it doesn't let up until it yeah, ends. Yeah, with, um, with Cooper as Rourke in silhouette. Yeah. Um, and he's thrown out of architectural school. Um he what's the second part i think the second part is where like another uh, architect is like haranguing him again being like people want crap that's old and stupid and nothing ever new yeah he he um he goes to he tries to work for another architect but it's like no you're you're too brilliant and original get yeah. the fuck out of here why don't you have more room so... in columns and then the third one because you know this is a classic setup of a joke where it's like <laughs> you set up the pattern you uh, reinforce it and then you flip it you're being shouted at by a third guy yeah um and this is henry cameron who is a a brilliant architect at the end of his career who has kind of been crushed by the tendency of the masses he's like the cautionary to... tale yes yeah. he wants um he's he... like the the person who dies in like the opening scene of a horror film you're <laughs> like yeah you didn't pay attention yeah he he tells Rourke like why even bother you know like fuck you for wanting yeah. to work with me like, he, like the, there's the a brick through his own you. window or something yeah um and eventually he he dies of he... his own passions, basically. <laughs> and then um, Rourke takes him to the... Rourke calls for an ambulance to take him to the hospital, and the guy, like, holds forth on buildings. He's like, oh, you see that one? I built that. I can't believe... But everything sucks now, and nothing will be good again because people are idiots. Yeah, and again, you're introduced <laughs> to him as, like, an old crank. Because, again, like, that's kind of the ultimate path of this philosophy. Like, if the world doesn't, like, bend to your whim, then it's going to be you out on the, the street corner like shouting at how everything sucks these days because people didn't listen to your way of doing things or you know just calling into an am radio show you, you can do that <laughs> yeah but again um, or publishing your own newsletter <laughs> but again um yeah this is this is to Rand, this is wrong think uh you know um uh, a great man can truly achieve the apotheosis 
of his work, as we'll see. And that's basically the story of Rourke. This is this is the essence of the Fountainhead. Yeah, and all those other characters are just an embodiment that, like, you know, you would go crazy, too, if, like, your whole life you believed that you were 100% correct and, like, never accepted any doubt in your mind. You're just like, eh, maybe Brutalist isn't the, like, you know, be-all, end-all of architecture <laughs> or whatever. Well, um, Rourke was based on Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. Um, Wright was the only architect that Rand thought was worth a shit. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, was, I was just suggesting that it's like the possibility that maybe your protagonist is mistaken. Well, he's an asshole. But um, apparently Rand didn't know anything about architecture before she started The Fountainhead, which I was surprised by. I thought that architecture was like some great passion of hers, but she conceived the idea of a man um, working against the collective and she was like, he's an uh, architect. <laughs> because I guess ad executive was taken. Yeah, and then so um, she learned a bunch of shit about architecture and then wrote The Fountainhead. Um, but anyway, so, you know, having run up against the mediocrity of the world, um, Rourke attempts to get a commission for a building and um, they wanted to compromise, but damn it, he won't. Yeah. And, um, and he puts himself out of work because he won't. Yeah, he's do like, yeah, he's wants. like, I'm going to the Home Depot parking lot. Yeah. And I'm going to become a uh, a day laborer. That's literally what he decides to do because no one will let him build things the way he wants. Meanwhile, another building gets built, and people are like, yeah, so what? <laughs> yeah, people are super mad about architecture in this world, which I, is, is, was that ever a thing, even in 1949? I, I have heard more about architecture watching this, like, you know, in this, like, two-hour movie than I have ever. Yeah, and I... Even going to Frank Lloyd Wright places, like, you know, you can work in, like, some, <laughs> you know, human interest stories in there, or, like, something yeah. that people can relate to. This is, like, people are insane about architecture in this film <laughs> and you've actually been to falling water haven't you yeah it's, it's really cool yeah. i would i'm glad that he didn't compromise his vision <laughs> um, uh, the irony being that like some shit doesn't actually like work and there's other things there are other details in it again speaking of uncompromising vision where like there's a kitchen that like it overlooks like you know the um like the the stream over the waterfall and like you can open all of them up and like let in um you know let in a nice cool breeze and when I say all of them, I mean you can open up windows floor to ceiling. So if you had like a pet or a child, maybe this isn't the right home for you. Because <laughs> it's like because it's like a thirty foot drop onto a monolith wow. over a waterfall, and it's like yeah, okay, maybe that's not such a great idea. But it was uncompromising. Yeah. And it was consistent. Well, I'm I have a pretty good idea what Ayn Rand would have to say about um, building safety and regulations. Right. Well, <laughs> well, you know, if you if you fell over that precipice, you're obviously too stupid to keep from getting killed. Yeah. Why don't you have some of your uh, collective masses form a pile of bodies for you to fall on? <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Rourke decides he's gonna go be a day laborer. Um, meanwhile, he's gonna go live like a hermit, perhaps because like society rejects his like bullshit philosophy. <laughs> well, meanwhile. Um, Gail Wynand, who is the owner of the Banner, a populist newspaper, um, wants to design a building. Um, and we have a scene of him talking to Ellsworth Tuhi, who supposedly is the main antagonist. Um, again, the guy who believes in selflessness and acceding to what the masses want. And Tuhi tells Wynand, you should get Peter Keating. Like, he's a shitty architect, but 
The public likes shit. Again, I don't understand. It's like hire just like this average, just mediocre person to work for you. Again, like a guy that it is that it is established he does not respect. Like, yeah. why would you hire anyone like that? Yeah, like, um, Tuhi writes a very popular column for the banner mm-hmm. about architecture, which people give a fuck about, apparently. Architecture um, is really big in this, like, parallel universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a fly in the ointment, which is Uh-oh. Dominique Francon, who also has a column for the banner. Okay. Um, this is where we meet Dominique, who is... A straight-up lunatic. Uh, tell us how we meet Dominique Francon. Uh, she is getting ready to destroy a piece of art. Yes, because... For some reason? Because it's too beautiful. I... And she doesn't want it to exist in a world obsessed with mediocrity. I... So she chucks it out the window. I don't understand, like, what is the purpose of that? Be like... It, I mean, I understand, like, the metaphorical purpose of it, but, I mean, as... A normal action a human being would take. I don't understand it. It's okay. Well, it's I guess it's, yeah. We'll just have to um, write that one off. <laughs> um, and, and and then she goes on about like yeah, it, wanting to like expect nothing and like uh, uh, be like beholden to nothing. It's like you basically like want to live a hermetic existence, essentially. Which I don't understand. Like, I mean, maybe just someone who is just a misanthrope mm-hmm. who like doesn't like other people. Like, sure, I can understand that being your philosophy, but then justify it. Yeah, and it's um, and I think a lot of times with um, with media or works of art, it's it can be dangerous to read too much of the author's opinions into the work. But let's be real, this is like this is Rand's self insert. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, Dominique is played by Patricia Neal, who I think looks great in the part. You know, has really great clothes. She's she's very striking. Um, Rand apparently disliked her performance, and one of Neil's friends told her, like, oh, you were just terrible. Yeah. But I think this is a case of, George, you can write this shit, but you can't say it. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, how the fuck are you supposed to act in this movie? Yeah, because, I mean, what do you draw from as a normal, well-adjusted human being? Yeah, and I think she does um, I think she does well in... Uh, you know, most of... I, I think all the actors in the movie are, are doing their best with very bizarre material mm-hmm. um barbara stanwick campaigned very hard for the role mm-hmm. of dominique um because she was fucking obsessed with the fountainhead apparently <laughs> and she didn't obviously she didn't get the part and i think that influenced her decision to leave that studio all right very very randy of her okay yeah she's yeah, again like cutting off your nose to spite your face i don't understand the reasoning <laughs> behind it but yeah so we we meet dominique she's a complete wackaloon um, who is engaged to Peter Keating, the yeah. mediocre architect? Why? I don't fucking know. Because everyone just loves mediocrity. She's <laughs> like, oh, I can't get enough of that. But what ends up happening is that Gail Winans strong arms Keating into giving up his engagement to Dominique. He's like, hey, you want this building commission, don't you? Well, break your engagement. Yeah. Because I want to marry Dominique. And right. Keating's just like, oh, okay. Why would why he wants to marry her, a woman who doesn't love him, is you know beyond me. But then again, uh, that seems to happen amongst Randian types, loveless <laughs> marriages. Um, but uh, but then the other thing too that I don't get is okay, sure, like he gets he gets the girl out of it, but also like he hired an architect that he fundamentally doesn't respect. Well, and this like, and what? 
Yeah, because again, he acceded to popular opinion represented by Ellsworth Tui, which what? is weird. But, and like, also, you know, Dominique doesn't marry him right off the bat. You know, like, Wynan comes on to her pretty heavily and she's just like totally frigid. Yeah. You, know, because... you see that when, like, because every time that, like, he leans in for a kiss, she's like breaking the fourth wall about, like, can you believe this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She, you know, like, this obviously, you know, the implication being, like, this is not, this man is not good enough for a principled woman like Dominique. So then we get into the weird... You know what she's into, yeah. We get into the weird sex shit. Um, now, I believe that Rand fought the Hayes office on a lot of the content of this movie, the sexual content. Um, yeah. I think most of our listeners know about the Hayes office, but... Um, we bring it up every third episode. <laughs> um, essentially, it was the, the film industry's um, kind of like... Comics self- code. Yeah, it was the self-regulating um, body um, to try to keep the movies yeah, before, from being too racy. Before they had any ratings, they'd just be like, well, let's just not put anything in there where, like, you know, a cop is corrupt in some way. Yeah. Or, and... or doing drugs is actually, like, relaxing. <laughs> but um, this is when we get to the part of the movie that's just fucking lit. Yeah, and it's the sort of thing where it's, it's like... This is something that Anne just wrote for herself. Oh, yeah. Like, it doesn't have anything to do with the story. It doesn't advance the plot anymore. But it's like, yeah, I'm flicking the bean to this. Well, yeah, because um, this is how she brings uh, Dominique and Rourke together. You know, because, again, like, he's working in this quarry. And, um, you know, uh, Dominique's dad owns the quarry. So she goes down there one day and she sees this guy. <laughs> Drilling yeah, into just the rock, jackhammering this. Get it? Yeah, into this like firm gash. And there's this series of shots of the two looking at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, just laden with this sexual charge. Right. You know, and as if, and if you don't get it the first time, later there's a shot of Dominique at her, um, at her vanity. Yeah. Uh, brushing her hair, and then there's a fight. There's a literal insert shot in the corner of the drill going into the rock, and then she just yeah, just swoons. like these yeah, just like these glistening forearms, just like <laughs> flexed, holding this powerful drill as it you know forces its way inside. <laughs> Get it? You know where that hairbrush is going after. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, tell me, how does Dominique contrive to meet Howard Rourke again? Not like a normal human being. Right. Why Why would she? Uh, well, you know, she... I guess she takes... Uh, rather than... Um, how do I explain this? Well, she uh, she breaks uh, a piece of marble in her fireplace. It would be like, you know, to get the help to come in to fix it. And so he shows up. So, yeah, she can try as a way to, to meet him that way. Yes. And then he, like, you know, goes on about the minutia of different kinds of marble where it's just like, no one... While she lounges sensuously yeah. in front of him, couldn't he? He is about as oblivious as I am to like a woman hitting on him. Because uh, <laughs> well, like, I think yeah, he... three types of marble. Meanwhile, like she's like you know got like one ankle behind her neck. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, some of it's not real marble, but they call it marble anyway. Like I can cut you a piece because you want the good one, right? And meanwhile, she's like you know like licking her lips and sucking her fingers and. <laughs> And She's I like think... eating a banana really slowly. <laughs> I don't know where she even got that. And obviously, like you know, the implication being like, like he 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 guesses what's going on because what happens is that when she calls for somebody to come set the marble that he ordered, this yeah. this uh, squat ethnic workman shows up yeah. instead. And she fucks him, and all of a sudden, <laughs> she gave him the night of his life. Let yeah, me tell you. Well, that's for sure. But yeah, but so she's pissed off that Rourke didn't come at her beck and call. 
Um, right. So she, uh, she furiously rides on horseback mm-hmm. to find him, uh, discovers him on the road, and he's like... Well, you know, um, I thought you wanted someone to set the marvel, but or, or was that what you wanted? Mm. And she fucking Playing slashes. Hard to get. She slashes him across the face with her horse whip. That's such a fucking gen move. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, no, it's 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 really indicative of all of uh, Tim's ex. Right, right. Well, I guess let's just say, unfortunately, I have a type. It would seem, <laughs> and like the whole reason Rourke is there too is like he wouldn't he wouldn't suffer the indignity of of. <clears throat> like compromising on creative work like so instead he just chooses instead like a blue collar job where he's basically like a drone I, again yeah. I don't understand his reasoning here but I think like the implication being like well you know the right people will come to me I that is completely absurd yeah it's it's but demented anyway, yeah but um so how does this interaction between Dominique and Rourke meet its apotheosis well um by uh, uh, Anne Rand uh, banging out a couple of pages and taking a nap, um, <laughs> but <laughs> well, he he comes to her room in the evening and you know has his way with her and ravishes mm-hmm. her and um, yeah, believe me that that marble gets fixed all right. <laughs> <I don't>... <laughs> <laughs> he splits that marble. What a... these innuendos are terrible. <laughs> um, Much like the prose in the right. film. Yeah. Well, anyway, so Anne gets what she wants out of the scene, imagining you know a forceful man to come and take her. Which is which I find Rand's sexual politics very interesting, and you could you could expand on these like you know in a complete other episode. Um, because her ideal woman is um has a um, lunatic <laughs> has a masculine brain and appreciation of aesthetics but is still um inferior feminine okay um come see, come you see. know not not like homemaker feminine but um entirely femme coded right um and so like conniving and duplicitous well you know like how else are you gonna get the guy to your house to right set, yeah to basically. put in the marble slab and then rape you right <laughs> or as Rand put it, rape by engraved invitation. Yeah. Just... Well, the thing that I get that gets me about it is like the scene is neither here nor there. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Rand likes what she likes, and that's fine, whatever. But it's like it has no place in the movie. Yeah. Apart from like, well, let's just put a sex scene in. Yeah, and um, it's it's de- it's dwelled upon in the book as you can imagine there's literally <laughs> you in don't fact, say like i have to, like i have to find this and read this i mean the, the pages are stuck together but you can find them <laughs> let me see okay yeah um so she's reading a letter from her friend asking her to come back from the country and uh here it is she read it and smiled she thought if they knew those people that old life and the odd reverence before her person i've been raped i've been raped by some red-headed hoodlum from a stone quarry I, Dominique Francon. Through the fierce sense of humiliation, the words gave her the same kind of pleasure she'd felt in his arms. Yeah, her, the author. And <laughs> yeah, and again, just like the way because... that it's like restated too, it's like, yeah, just like, just push <clears throat> push that little pink button. <laughs> um, and again, like her, you know, Rand's heroine is uh, forceful, femme-coded, but essentially subservient to a great man well yeah i mean that's not like so outside the norm is like you want to be the best at something but then also have someone better than you yeah so it's uh again this the sexual politics are just again it's it's neither here nor there the main politics i think are the atrocious part of this film um 
But so then um, Rourke does get a building commissioned and it gets built. And of course, I'm imagining everyone like because, you know, there's a grand opening where the guy who who owns the building is crowing about how he's actually going to um, like lease one of the spaces. And it's like, is that kind of par for the course? <laughs> but again, it's unimportant. But and again, yeah. the guy the guy who commissions Rourke is yet another self-made man. Of course, because everyone in this is. Yeah, all, the, all the, the good people. The are. only way that you can succeed is by not compromising. And again, the people you... Um, are not giving people what they want, not being able to make money off of giving what people what they like. Well, yeah, it's kind of weird because it's like, um, you know, how do these guys make their money? That is an excellent question. Like, because again, and also in the book, like, um, all these... the the really ideal admirable men are you know again like self-made men who came up from nothing mm -hmm. by quote-unquote their own two hands yeah but they're all and they're all very wealthy you know wealth which they made themselves right because you know that's a thing but yeah, it's like well how the, how the fuck than... did you get wealthy i mean i think there's there's like a guy who like um you know invested in the stock market and you know even still i mean that's backing things that other people agree are of value yeah that's that's like the again like that's the sort of new plus ultra of uh listening to the masses it's what everyone else agrees something is worth yeah and he's just as better at it if he succeeds in the stock market yes yes so he's better at reading what other people want yeah so that makes him like the sort of uh like er commoner more common than common it doesn't it's it's a philosophy <laughs> that starts to unravel when you begin to look at it yeah but again um you know we're kind of belaboring the point much as rand does like let's kind of compress the rest of the film and, right well anyway you know, he, he gets um, the building built and like yeah. everyone's walking around at the opening and i can imagine them in the back of head their minds going actually this kind of an lb building <laughs> but um you know let's we'll we'll hit the fast forward button um do you think that when they were building the apple campus anyone else <laughs> had ideas about compromise where it's like maybe let's not not make all these walls out of like this transparent like non-reflective <laughs> glass that people are going to walk into <laughs> you know just as, just as a what if what if so many birds have died again it, well, that's you know there's your modern uncompromising architectural vision where it's just like oh shit a lot of this doesn't work uh there's a concept called desire lines well where you'll find that uh the people who end up using the space you designed will cut their own paths through it which is why a lot of times um in public spaces you'll see paths yeah. worn through uh grass areas for example yeah because um the users find the most direct and effective path no matter how you you might think that this design is the most yeah be like well this design all holds together from a certain philosophy and it's like that's great except for people are going to use this and you yes. can count for everything in it yeah so i wonder if rourke ever encountered those <laughs> well, they they were uh, quickly edited out. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, essentially, so uh, Rourke gets to build the the Enright House because there's finally a guy who understands his his brilliance and genius. Um, Dominique marries Gail Wynand, even though she loves Rourke because she believes that the mediocre world will crush Rourke, and she just can't take it. I don't, and again, like that's such like a. A, a like you know well i didn't want it anyway kind of reaction where it's just like mm -hmm. oh well, the world's too stupid that's why that's why i wasn't you know at the top of everything well and it's also contrived bad romance novel trash because um you know i guess 
it's that thing where it's like, well, you can't just have the characters get together because it's like, you know, where's the conflict? So I'm going to keep them apart, but I'm going to do it by completely artificial means, by people holding these grandiose ideas which have no basis in actual society. Yeah. Well, I, the point that I'm making is that you know, these are uh, sort of self-important you know, egotists that only see their failure as due to the conspiracy of lesser people, which is funny because that means that the masses, however mediocre, are stronger than they are. Like, that's a takeaway from it. Well, and maybe that's where the fear comes from with, um, you know, Rand and people who gravitate towards Rand. It's this, um, and, you know, understandable by someone who saw, you know, communism as this malevolent force, yeah. um, you know, the masses are absolutely the most terrifying thing possible. So why not just get on top of it rather than, like, <laughs> fighting against it? Be like, because, I mean, the, uh, you know, yellow journalism newspaper tycoon, like, he was obviously able to harness it and ride that wave. Well, but then he Although becomes... I'm basically saying, why don't you be Rupert Murdoch? <laughs> so. Well, but then, you know, Wynand eventually becomes, like, uh, Rand's failed ideal man. Yeah. Um, I mean, he fu he fucking kills himself at the end of the movie. He actually doesn't kill himself at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. um, he just asks uh, Rourke to build uh, the Winan building, and then um, Rourke yeah. marries Dominique, and and he yeah, and he basically like you know rides out whatever you know fad he's at the crest of. Like you know, he's basically he's a fidget spinner, or he's a beanie baby, or something, <laughs> and just like yeah, this is all because I'm great, not because I happen to be at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. And then the you yeah. know tastes change, and then everyone goes, oh, those horrid buildings. <laughs> but yeah, again, um, I keep saying again. That's because you picked that up from me. <laughs> um, yeah, so Rourke gets the Enright house. Um, Dominique marries Wynand, and then um, the movie kind of spirals to its absurd conclusion, uh, which is a courtroom scene, which everybody loves those, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to see if I can kind of compress it. Um, yeah, uh, Peter Keating, the surpassing mediocrity, um, really wants to build this uh, housing pro project, Again, Portland I Homes. Never heard anyone bloviate about <laughs> architecture before or since. <laughs> but go on. I hope I never hear it again. Right. Um, so he really wants Cortland Homes because it will, you know, salvage his uh, his um, failing reputation. Um, Tuhi, being the ultimate uh, manipulator, wants to make it happen um and i forget how he does it it doesn't matter but isn't the really he agrees is like it i'll wait are you talking about him blowing up the billing well i'm getting that because okay. uh like keating wants the corlin holmes thing too he wants that to happen um and the way it happens is that uh keating goes to rourke and basically asks him to design it for him and Rourke's yeah. like he says do my homework for me yeah and um rourke is like yes i will do this for some fucking reason um but yeah. you can't put my name on it and you all you also have to insist that they build it exactly as i want it right again i'm so now rourke is a fucking idiot because he thinks that peter keating who is the biggest bitch on earth and right. pussy is going to actually hold to that well, when he's been nothing but a complete spineless like right. piece of shit the whole time. Well, Rourke and like <clears throat> the the consistent character trait among all these like <clears throat> Randy and Superman is their own self delusion. Rourke mm -hmm. basically does it as an uh, edifice to his own ego. Yeah. So because they can't possibly imagine something beyond what they on, only <laughs> believe 
like the world to be which is like which is why the term objectivist is so ironic is only the person who has deluded themselves into thinking that their ideas are like purely objective yes would call themselves an objectivist yeah, which is, uh, that's a, a really the massive flaw at the heart of uh, Rand's philosophy because, because she believed that, um, I mean, and I guess it stemmed from Aristotle and his oh, A is A right. thing. Um, oh yeah, and there's a post about that on the I Am Smart subreddit, but go on. <laughs> you know, the notion that you can objectively perceive the world, which I believe has been disproved by science and other thinkers right. much better than myself well maybe like architecture she just had kind of a cursory understanding of philosophy and just like yeah i can run with this to like prop up my own inflated fragile ego yeah so um for whatever reason rourke is like sure um you complete spineless worm i believe that you will be able to convince these people to build my design as is yeah but Oh no, that's not what happens. You yeah. know, they make a bunch of bullshit changes to the Cortland homes. Which is a weird kind of sympathetic scene in a way that like I could see that existing in a normal movie and being like, Oh, it's the one guy like he's trying to go straight. Basically. <laughs> How and do you mean? Well, in that like he's been a guy who's like been kinda of wormy this whole time and finally like, you know, makes a principled stand for something and that's commendable. So you could kinda of see that as like that's a second that's like a secondary character, um, you know, getting killed off or trying to like, um, <laughs> like uh, complete the arc that the only the main protagonist is going to realize. Well, yeah, but I don't think um, you know because um, Peter Keating, being this uh, straw man second hander, he of right. course is not going to um, stick to his guns. Well, yeah, like you do whatever you want to it. Right. Um, he, so he doesn't. He's like he's broken because of that. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, go on. So, what does Rourke decide to do? He takes them to court, and he um, uh, indicts him for breach of contract. No, wait. He <laughs> sets up a ruse, and then he detonates the building <laughs> somehow. He blows up the fucking housing development Cause, with you Dominic's know, help. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, being an architect, of course <clears throat> he's got access to high explosives. <laughs> And then, you know, the cops or whoever show up, and there he is standing next to, like, you know, the old-timey dynamite plunger. And he's like, here, take me to jail, or whatever. The yeah, arrest me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, kind of like John Doe in Seven. He's the... Or, <laughs> or like any other movie. Like, you know, he's the criminal who wants to get caught so he can have his, his you know, speech to the audience, oh, basically. Oh, God, that's true. Yeah. That's terrible. Right. Ugh. Yeah, so You know, cliche. interesting... Interesting fact about Rand, um, which I think has been described elsewhere, um, something which heavily influenced her opinion was the William Hickman murder of the 20s. Um, oh, yeah, that really changed the 20s for... Who's William Hickman? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to explain. I just brought it up, and I'm not going to explain it all. Oh, no, okay. um, Hickman... Is he a friend of Leopold and Loeb? <laughs> There's two supermen who didn't Actually, get away with it. Uh, I'm surprised she didn't correspond with them, actually. But um, anyway, um, Hickman was a guy who kidnapped a 12-year-old girl and demanded ransom, and then later strangled her, cut her throat, and dismembered her. Um, he admitted later that she may have been alive when mm -hmm. he dismembered her. So, um, you know, this is, this is a really terrifying guy, right? No. To Ayn Rand, 
Hickman embodied the strong individual breaking free from the ordinary run of humanity. Uh, hmm. She wanted to write a story with a protagonist modeled on Hickman, intending to depict how, quote-unquote, society crushed exceptional individuals. And the way, the way Rand conceptualized the public horror at this crime was thus. This case is not moral indignation at a terrible crime. It is the mob's murderous desire to revenge its hurt vanity against the man who dared to be alone. Alone with a girl he was going to dismember. Yes. So is Atlas Shrugged about Albert Fish? <laughs> another a, another character she admires. Who is John Galt? Well, he's a guy who shoves needles into his taint. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, who is John Galt? Well, he has a rape shack. <laughs> <laughs> well, so does Harvey yeah. Rourke. Right, well. Okay. <laughs> no, you're thinking of uh, Christian Grey. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, Rourke destroys Cortland Holmes, and uh, he gets hauled into court for it. And yeah, one of the where he can again harangue the audience. Yes, one of the one of the dumbest fucking. And you know, most most courtroom scenes are fairly stiff That's, and I loathe them dramatically because, yeah. inert. Well, not dramatically inert. How would you say it? How would you characterize most courtroom scenes in films? Uh, as a chance for the um, writers to talk directly at the audience and make a plea for whatever their you know moral case is, which is why I find them so like transparent and loathsome. Yeah, it's either didacticism or uh, kind yeah. of cheap, easy Didactic, melodrama. You. Yeah, you know because like you got your defendant, you got your plaintiff. Yeah, and you have you know a court case and you fight it out. Yeah, and which well, I mean you know it's it's a. It's a veneer to have like a you know you think like a, a um, Socratic symposium on like a particular issue. Yeah, it's just it's a veneer to to frame that, which is weird because if you go to like a regular court case, it's nothing like that. Yeah, like you're just presenting evidence you know to and for and against something. And, you know, they make a decision based on the law, which is why I don't get why they let him go up and like, pontificate about how like um benevolence is weakness and shit like that well yeah when really it's like oh and also by the way yes i did blow up that building at that point the jury should just be like okay then our job's done yeah like we're convicted for like you know felony destruction of property i mean it's pretty obvious that that's why he was there not because he was illegally architecting Yeah, um, I don't think Rand knew a fucking thing about the legal system. <laughs> well, I mean, the court case is purely only there as window dressing for him to talk at you for, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and, it, like, it, it's great because um, Rourke acts in his own defense but provides no evidence except this long-ass speech. Yeah, he, ju- he justifies it in the same way that, like, I don't know, a serial killer or something would be you know they would have their own ideas about why it was totally just for them to do it but it's like well you aren't saying you didn't do it and that's kind of the problem because like you're here because we're accusing you of doing something and your response to that is to say i was right to do that it's like well you still broke the law and as a matter of fact you're like doubling down on what you should be either denying or exonerating yourself from yeah i mean you probably expect them to be like this court finds you guilty of being fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, again, like, what's that? Um, judges, uh, 
monologue from that Adam Sandler movie about like that was the, like <laughs> dumbest pile of trash I've ever heard, and everyone here is dumber for having listened to it. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, that's uh, that's the happy ending. Rourke gets acquitted. Mary's Dominique. He gets that, to build buildings. Yeah, but not just that. How does Rourke get acquitted? He gets. He, he is judged by a jury of his peers, this rugged individualist, or rugged, whatever, this, like, difficult individualist <laughs> who says, like, you know, compromise and, like, collaboration are, like, the, the enemy of mankind. So a jury of his peers um, reaches... reaches a consensus, and they come together to uh, agree... They compromise <laughs> on what they think, and that saves the individual. Wow. This must have just killed her. Like, <laughs> was she not aware that that's, that's how that happened? I don't know. Like, I feel like like she probably realized this, but, like, justified it to herself. And I don't really care to well, it's dig because, into how Well, in the same way it. that, like, Rourke would justify it, where it's be like, well, told you I was right. <laughs> it's, right? it's poo-poo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and... You know, so yeah, so it's the consensus that saved the individual. I don't. Yeah, so right. you know, the movie's over. Like Rourke that, is vindicated. That's why I found this such a hilarious satire is that it undercuts <laughs> its own message at every turn. It's actually brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, this. And that, like, you know, the the newspaper, um, you know, gets shut down because of like you know individuals collectively working together. Yeah, because en masse people decide not to read the banner. Yeah, because the because, banner is defending, like, a terrorist, basically. Yeah, because um, the and banner... It's like, well, if, well, at first the banner defends Rourke, and then because they're losing their readership, um, Wynan does the heel turn and denounces Rourke. Right, because capital has no morals, and, like, the border's like, you're ruining this paper by defending this terrorist. Like, stop it. And yeah. Like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But it's sort of like... Yeah, maybe, like, don't be an unrepentant bag of shit, and maybe you'll get along better in society. I don't know. But, like, Rourke got to make his ivory tower so that he can literally look down on everyone else, which is what he wanted this entire time. Because yeah. it justifies his own, like, again, yeah, his overinflated ego. Dis- just uh, like, you know, random agents. Describe things. the final few shots of the movie. Um, well, uh, you know, what's her ass? Um, yeah, Mrs. Rourke now. <laughs> Because Wynan topped himself. Yeah, because he's like, oh, I'm, I'm such a failure. I only own my own newspaper. He's like, there's nothing left for me to be, but to become an hero. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so Mrs. Rourke shows up and, you know, she um, goes up the, uh, the elevator and we see, you know, Rourke at the top. Because I guess he's building the thing himself. Because he wouldn't have it any other way, right? Like, yeah. Uh, again, getting back to, like, you know, the crew on the set, like, there's got to be, like, a riveter who's like these rivets are garbage everyone rivets like an idiot these days i'm gonna rivet my way <laughs> and then imagine like you know somewhere part way down the line like rourke is like who riveted this fix this and the guy's like fuck you i'm blowing this building up you don't <laughs> like my rivets fine to hell with your stupid architecture i'm yeah. doing this my way which is like again if you just extrapolate the basic tenets of you know, objectivism you're just like this is sort of this is like every man for himself horseshit so yeah. it's you know every uh, you know every every man a god and it's like well I don't think that necessarily applies like people do have to work together on things. Well, um, but again, like that part is kind of like shuffled under the rug because it conflicts with you know Rand's own idea that like Rourke you emerged you know fully formed from Zeus's head, and you know you you exist by never compromising or wavering, 
which is why I think Rorschach is such an appealing character. <laughs> <laughs> well, the unseen epilogue of this movie is that um, Rourke builds the Grenville Towers. So that's the Fountainhead. Yeah. King Vidor, 1949. It's, uh... Again, like, it... <sighs> in the corner, like, the... Like, he denounces an orgy of self-sacrifice. When has that ever been a problem? <laughs> like, and also, did this exist sometime around, like, you know, a, a world war or something? When people were kind of doing that thing where they worked together? It was, there was a massive government public works projects around the mid-40s. That... Oh, um, well, Rand despised Roosevelt in the New Deal, as you can imagine. Of course she did, yeah. Because she thought that everything that came to her, she deserved due to just her own awesomeness. Yeah. As every deluded Rand. I mean, in spite of the fact that she received a superior uh, education at the University of Leningrad. Oh. Well, (laughs) she deserved that too, I'm sure. Um, In fact, I I think she got... Initially, she was was kicked out of the University of Leningrad, not because of her own brilliance, but because at first they decided they weren't going to admit um, students from the bourgeoisie. That's, which a, they that's then, not a bad idea. Which really. they then rescinded, so they let her come back. Oh. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's the fountainhead. Yeah, and then other it's people... It's lit, fam. Yeah, and other people agreed to work with Rourke, knowing that he could just, like, turn on a dime and just, like, destroy all their work. And just, like, who would, who would want to... Well, I guess, you know, there are plenty of people in Hollywood who will work with, like, pedophiles and rapists so <laughs> i guess Rourke well, is just one of those supermen and again um rand um kind of fights against the notion of um people who take power um through strong-arm tactics but isn't it the ultimate strong-arm tactic to use um you know to blow up your own building as a statement of this is what i'll do if you don't accede to my demands yeah i mean that also seems like really childish in terms of like you know, if you do it my way, I'm taking my ball and going home. Yeah. So. <sighs> so, yeah, he's a really petty individual. Sorry, individualist. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, it would be tempting to kind of... The, the movie itself is kind of a curio. Um, I don't know essentially that I'd recommend it. Did you find anything aesthetically worthwhile about it? Uh, well, he said that there are some shots that, like, if they weren't so, like, heavily compressed that would actually look nice on film. Yeah, unfortunately, um, this movie was on uh, this streaming service Filmstruck for yeah. a while. Um, Until someone's it... like, what the fuck is this doing here? <laughs> they, they took it down. Um, it is available for free on archive.org and heavily compressed quality. Yeah. Uh, you know. Well, you I... know hey. uh, <laughs> it's available free for the masses. <laughs> and yeah, that really is like, that's the crux of it. Is it it's just, it's, a way to insulate yourself against just not being liked by other people, which yeah. I think is, you know, comes out of Rand's childhood, where just like, oh, it's because everyone else sucks, and That's I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a better individual, because like, yeah, no one will be my friend because they don't appreciate my genius. It's not because I'm a little fucking snotty is, weirdo. Again, that is such a juvenile, like, grade school way to approach things. And here's the other thing too, like, consider this whole movie, like, you know, the whole thing where. Rourke has his, like, very, um, like, strict ideas about what's good architecture, and he won't compromise on any of that. Let's just imagine for a minute that people agreed with him. Then where's your movie? Be like, you know, you have to do architecture this way. Like, yeah, everyone does architecture that way. (laughs) You have to, like, use good materials in your work. Like, 
we generally do that <laughs> and like and the the woman who writes about architecture is like we should really have you know buildings that have integrity and are innovative and you know whatever like forward looking everyone's like well yeah duh and it's like well when where's your story if Rourke isn't in opposition to anything what if other people are also like well yeah I agree that we shouldn't like we shouldn't bend over backwards for dumb ideas like we should try and do the best job at everything and everyone's like yeah what's what's novel about that well that's the thing you bring up an interesting point um because you know the notion is that through um you know that thing beloved of libertarians and objectivists the free market mm -hmm. which supposedly is uh, will get you the best results but we know that to not be true i mean i mentioned grenville towers um right. were they doing the best job with the best materials no they cheaped out yeah. and people died as a result yeah and the other thing too is like if they're again beholden to the market it's like well the market doesn't want your modern buildings make fucking old ones <laughs> like or die a pauper whatever yeah so yeah yeah but again i think like yeah there wouldn't be a movie if um if like Rand's protagonists weren't in opposition to the status quo which i mean again sets up the status quo as a straw man yeah because again like the what makes her philosophy so appealing is that it just like strokes your ego mm -hmm. being like you're better than everyone you're the only person with integrity it's like yeah except for when it, you know it's like that sort of uh, ironic aphorism is like remember you're an individual just like everyone else <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's strange that king vidor made this film because a lot of his earlier films were quite populist um he made the crowd which is considered one of the finest silent films ever made yeah um and uh also a film called our daily bread which had strong collectivist themes but <laughs> themes of self-sacrifice the ruin of humanity yeah i mean rand was completely opposed to altruism i what lunatic <laughs> extols that virtue i don't <laughs> ayn rand and her acolytes yeah who um, just like grew up as a lonely like bitter child yeah, but eventually um, Vidor um, joined um, the, um, he was one of the people who, along with Rand, joined the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, which was a committee created to fight what they thought was the insidious influence of communism in the Hollywood film industry. And again, we all know how that turned out. Right. So say that you're um, like a... Say you're an auteur filmmaker and you've got some great ideas that kind of fly in the face of what established Hollywood wants. Like they don't want communist stuff. They want, you know, sort of uh, American dream, you know, uh, strong individualist themes. Then, well, what side does, does Vitor take on this? Does he side with the uh, individual, uncompromising, or does he side with the boneheaded masses who only like, like dumb stuff that everyone else likes? Or uh, a committee. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it does seem, you know, a touch ironic or, I don't know, hypocritical that he would then go on to... Because even in the movie, like, Rourke is ostracized by, you know, like, the by the press. Or you might say blacklisted. Was there any blacklisting that went on in Hollywood around the same time? Um... I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, something. Ask Karina Longworth. Uh, yeah, um, we all know how the, uh, 
fervor of anti-communism turned out. So it seems it seems weird that people who prize individuality, you know, uber Alice, if you will, <laughs> um, banded together to prevent a certain philosophy from flourishing within a particular um, uh, industry. Yeah, well, um, Rand did once say in a letter to a friend that uh, she was very knowledgeable about propaganda, having been trained in it by experts at the University of Leningrad. Oh, well, there Funny you go. that. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the first hypocritical thing to come out of this film. <laughs> Or any of the people making it. Yeah, but anyway, this is becoming as long as the fucking fountain itself. So I um, maybe your time is better served on this. <laughs> um, I want to finish with a quote um, from Gore Vidal, um, who uh, wrote this about Rand, uh, one of her nonfiction works in 1961. What interests me most about her is not the absurdity of her philosophy, but the size of her audience. In my campaign for the house, she was the one writer people knew and talked about. She has a great attraction for simple people who are puzzled by organized society, who object to paying taxes, who dislike the welfare state, who feel guilt at the thought of the suffering of others but would like to harden their hearts. For them, she has an enticing prescription. Altruism is the root of all evil. Self-interest is the only good. And if you're dumb or incompetent, that's your lookout. Ayn Rand's philosophy is nearly perfect in its immorality, which makes the size of her audience all the more ominous and symptomatic as we enter a curious new phase in our society. And I think that that is still fucking relevant today. Yeah. Wow, we should have started with that because saved them two hours. <laughs> Sorry, I hope you're listening to this on fast forward. <laughs> Not everybody's you, Tim. I just, I, I got a lot to do. Tim uh, developed a fixation on Ross Bagdasarian as a child, and he can only listen to everything on four times speed. That's absolutely true. <laughs> anyway, um, don't yeah. fuck with the fountainhead. It's garbage. Well, I think that now we've made it so people don't have to, and you can just see how like hypocritical and like uh, self-contradictory a lot of its philosophy is. Yeah. Yeah, look out for our next episode in only three or four short months. <laughs> On the next episode, McClintock. <laughs> God, finally it's done. I don't know what that's a reference to. Thank you.